0: Everybody welcome back to Linux Cast. I'm your host Matt and I'm Tyler. This is the Linux Cast. He is Tyler and we are both using Linux right now. I'm a lying
1: liar who lies. He's not uh-huh. using Linux. <laughs> Matt, Matt's just switched over to Windows 11. All right. Every, See, every time I'm the one, I'm the one who's using Linux, okay? Like that is let's, the, let's the that biggest, fattest lie you've ever told.
0: I would never do such thing ever. I, c- I can even sh- I could show you my screen right now I'm not using Windows thank God always this is fake news don't listen to it all right it's right. anyways uh, this is Linux cast we talk about Linuxy things most of the time uh, we have never had a tangent in the history of the show by the way never uh, it- and I promise that we won't have any tangents in this one either so just to let you know that that's absolutely true and something's biting me in the back thank you very much for that Um random thing uh, that happens lot. that doesn't happen ever. I should say it's like random things that, just, that don't, don't happen. I'm going to keep getting. Ah. All right. Uh, <laughs> uh, <coughs> not prepared for this episode at all. So um, those of you who've been watching or listening for a while, you'll say what else is new. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. So Tyler, what have you been doing
1: in the world of FOSS this week? Ah, um, well, I, um, Show I showed you uh, earlier. Now the question is: Is can I move my webcam around without disorientating everyone on the live stream? Because I can I can show off what I've done. Um, Hopefully this this will not be obtrusive to anybody. But my plan was to take my computer over there, my Rosewill computer, uh, and put I've got an Intel board in it, um, and I, I took out my AMD mini ITX board and put my mini PC back together. Um, and the plan was to have this this mini mini build uh, be an open BSD machine and have that one over there run Windows just so I could play games and, have, and stream them to this one using a service I found called Rainway. And um, it would have worked if my Intel board posted right but it didn't so um, I'll have to get a new either a new motherboard which I need to upgrade the CPU anyway it's an old one so I'll have to do that eventually but I ended up uh, keeping uh, a Windows partition and an openBSD partition I've got two nvme drives in here so I've got one for when I want to play games um, and well technically I could have booted in my openBSD machine today but I feel like Synced up audio is probably nice, so I stayed here. But I've got an OpenBSD partition and this one, and I've been needing to update my OpenBSD um, uh, dot files over on my GitLab and update my um, guide. Um, it need it needs a small edit uh, so that it's like actually right with my dot files. Because you were using um, Calm Window Manager or something, right? Yes, you did those? Yeah, 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 and well. I'm 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 not really sure that I, I don't think I have my um, DWM and ST um, dot files anymore. So I need to remove that section from my guide or redo my DWM and actually up, upload it uh, up to my dot files. But probably in the next couple of days, like I'll have a full edit and everything and my dot files will be much more up to date. So just in case anyone cares about or wants to check out my OpenBSD.files, check them out, but just know they're not really super up-to-date. So, like, if you don't really know a lot about OpenBSD, don't assume that everything is perfect with the .dot .files. Mm-hmm. Everything that's there should work, but uh, some of the stuff in my guides, like, won't be relevant, like building DWM and ST. I know that part is not relevant, and I think there are some other things, like applications i install that i no longer use but um that's that's pretty much what i've been working on it's just getting all my computer stuff situated and dealing with the loss of my 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 old intel board that's been so reliable for years but it's, it's time to bury it it's a sad day what about you man you had a better time um, yeah, so I have three things that I
0: want to talk about in this section and normally I try to limit myself to one and limit myself just to Linux stuff, but I have some things to talk about. So first I'll talk about the Linux C thing that I want to talk about. The I've been messing around with a window manager called DK. I made a video about it. It is really, really good. and it may become my daily driver. I'm not sure yet. I'm still kind of switching back before with that and i3. Uh, we'll see. I have it installed on hardware. I've been using it on that computer behind me, and it's really good. I mean, it's just – it has been around for a while, um, like two or three years, I think, at least. So it's not as new as I thought it was. But in comparison to, like, other window managers that have been around for, like, 20 years, it's still fairly you know new. And it's astonishingly full-featured like it just has so many features that you just expect to be there in a window manager that's been there for around a long time now it's not the best documented ever but it still has pretty good documentation like it has a good man page all of the the, everything in the configuration file and the sxhkdrc file is well commented so you know exactly what everything is going on it's just not up to the level of like i3 or a uh, Qtile like or whatever in terms of documentation um, but it's actually really good and uh, I highly recommend if you have a chance to uh, give that a try on whatever you know you're on Linux or BSPD or whatever it is um, it's really good uh, the other thing I want to talk about other other Linuxy thing that I want to talk about for a little while and this is hard for me to say I, I've I'm considering a switch away from Vim and no I'm not going to Emacs <laughs> <laughs> um, I knew that one. Nah. I, when I say I'm switching away from Vim, it's not that I'm abandoning Vim. I'll still use Vim as my uh, editor for like scripts and the show notes and all the stuff you'd normally do in the terminal. I'd still be doing that. But I don't know. Like probably four or five months ago, I made the switch so I do all of my like for work paid writing and editing in Vim. And I've been doing that now full time for like five months. In Vim, I, I, matter of fact, I've only opened up LibreOffice like twice in the last like five months. And that was when I had to like edit a Word document, you know, and I had to worry about the formatting and stuff. The problem I'm having with Vim, and I've been having this pretty much since the beginning, is that when I open up a document or a markdown file that is like over 50,000 words, and I get these things a lot, like I have to edit these things like, like once or twice a week I get an article that takes like that long and it's so slow like sometimes you hit the like J and K and it takes like fractions of a second like half a second for it to actually move to the next line and it's annoying it it really only happens in insert mode once you're in normal or excuse me it really only happens in normal mode when you're in insert mode it seems to work fine which is why I've been able to continue to use it so I just basically stay in insert mode the entire time and use the arrow keys to navigate. Um, But it's just, it's just so, so slow. So I, I've been thinking about finding a different markdown editor that is more capable of handling word counts that high. Um some, something like obsidian or something like that along those lines those are more meant for writing of that kind now like somebody when I mentioned this in one of my videos somebody said well you know i i code for a living and I have like 10 20,000 lines of code like yes that's true vim does not bog down when you have lots of lines of code but the difference between lines of code and a, and a a history article is that these are actually like full paragraphs full of stuff when you have 20,000 lines of code you maybe have you know 10,000 words you know because yeah. <laughs> those, those it's not a full paragraph you know so it's it's different if for whatever reason Vim just does not handle that amount of words all that well now it's possible that it's a plug-in that I've had but the problem is that I've disabled all the plugins that I don't need. Like, if I disable like, go, Goyo, and I disable the, the light house, light room, light show, whatever the hell it's called, if I disable those two, there's no reason for me to use Vim, because those are amazing things that I want to use. You know, I want to use that distraction-free thing. If I have to disable them, then I have... Other than the Vim keys, there's no reason for me to, to use Vim, other than being a nerd. You know, so... Um, no. I don't, so, that, anyways, that's the... I'm thinking about switching away from them for my writing, which is, you know, it's been a good experiment, but it's just, I don't know, it doesn't seem to be uh, working all that well. It's it's a shame. Uh, the last thing I want to talk about is uh, something I need to rant about for just a minute. So, and this has nothing to do with Linux, so I, I apologize to begin with. It really has nothing to do with computers, actually. It has something to do with mobile phones. And that is I'm having this problem where when I'm at home I get no service. And I've always had this problem with T-Mobile with T-Mobile. I use uh, Ting, which is you know they're, they're they're an MVNO and I have a T-Mobile SIM from them. And when I was on the iPhone I didn't really notice the problem because I had Wi-Fi calling. And I just, you know, set up the Wi Fi calling and it just worked fine. On the Android phone that I got, that doesn't have Wi-Fi calling through T Mobile for some stupid reason. I I contacted Ting, they said that T Mobile had turned it the feature off or something. I don't even know. So uh this morning, I was like, "You know, I've had enough of this going in and out of service. Like, I can I can walk from here to the bathroom, which is like right next door. I can have service in the bathroom. I have no service when I'm sitting here. It's stupid. My mother wonders why I spend all my time in the bathroom. It's not because you know, it's not for the usual reason. It's because that's the only place I have service." <laughs> Oh, uh, so <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's good. I, I didn't even know it was gonna go that direction, but it did. <laughs> uh, anyway, anyways, I contacted Ting this morning. I was, like I was, I'm, I'm just done with this. And they have another uh, partner where they're they're an MVNO MVNO of, so they are partnered with Verizon as well. So. I was like, what will it take for me to be able to get a Verizon SIM just to put in my phone? Because my phone is unlocked. It'll work with Verizon. Here's where the rant comes in. In order to switch to a a Verizon SIM card on Ting, which is the same company. So I'm just going to be moving from Ting to Ting right? Just They just ship me a, a SIM card and I put it in my phone. That's the way it should work. But no, the way you have to do it is you have to open up a new Ting account with a new email address and then you have to switch away from Ting to some other carrier and then port your number back to Ting in order to switch to that new SIM card. <laughs> I swear to God, that's actually what that the guy told me you had to do. Uh, and I was like... Okay. Why would I come back? Like, why would you come back? Like, like if I if I have to go through, I mean, porting a number is a pain in the ass, and you you want me to do it three times or twice, whatever it is. I mean, it's just so was so stupid. Like, like what? Why would like what like how does that make sense? I I would have understood. Like, I would have. It would still been stupid, but I would have understood if I had to port it from one. Ting account to the other Ting account, that would have made sense to me. Like one from one Ting to the other Ting, that would have made yeah. sense, right? Yeah. Um yeah. Still pretty stupid that you can't just say, "Hey, douchebag has a new t- SIM card, switch to the the service over to that." You know, that would have made sense yeah. to me. But you know, one from one from one Ting to the other Ting would have made sense. But the fact that you have to go from one Ting to another carrier back to tank the new Ting account, it's just—I mean, it's the stupidest That's...
1: thing I've ever heard. That's genuinely like so. That's, that's like you go to a car dealership and like you have like you've like it's like you go to a Chevy dealership. You already have a Chevy, and you're like, I would like to get a different one. And they're like, Well, for you to get that one and for you to trade in yours, you're gonna need to go to a to a Dodge or some other place. A different dealer. Buy a <laughs>
0: buy a Ford. Trade that fucker in back here. on your Chevy. <laughs> <It's just> a- <laughs> it was so like i I spent a half an hour in their chat this morning trying i I tried to understand like why is this the case and and the guy didn't know it's just that's the way they'd been doing it forever
1: that's just like can i just can i speak to like a chief member of the company and just can we just talk for like five minutes about how dumb this is like what like why would you make somebody go to one of your competitors to get a different plan? I, I, I can't, can't answer the question. Also, I can hear myself in the background there,
0: Tyler. Again, um, no. excellent news. <laughs> It's like, it's like I can hear myself twice. It's it's
1: fantastic. It's so good. <laughs> if you want me to, I will get up and go grab my head my headset. It's right over there in the closet.
0: I will try to just use the OBS thing. Uh, it won't be quite as good quality, but it'll be alright. Sad day. Yeah. Next time, just use your headphones. Be
1: a normal person. Use Linux. I'm um, just. Well- just you know, just, just use Linux. How's this work You know what? I'm, I, I might just end up doing that. Just for the just for the shits and giggles, I might just. It, it's gonna be hilarious because this is the way it's gonna work. Uh,
0: Monday through Thursday and Saturday and Sunday, Tyler's going to be a Windows user. But in the morning on Friday, he's going to wipe his Windows install, install a random Linux distro, just so he can use Linux on the podcast and then switch back to
1: Windows. <laughs> so. <laughs> i have an extra drive so instead of just rocking a, a open bsd i'll just put i'll put i'll definitely still be switching constantly but i'll put linux on that and just use it like the sad part is is like you're completely right most of the week i will be running windows because i am heavily addicted to to Deadside, I have quickly went from like a hundred hours in the game to like a 175, something like that. I've been spending too much of my days and nights in Deadside. Like I've been living in that game. You could do you could if you had to deal with ting in order to switch
0: between operating systems, you'd have to go from Windows to BSD back to Windows. <laughs>
1: order to switch to windows it it was that complicated (laughs) to switch i i can almost guarantee you i'd stop like that's that's how i I could probably stop myself from distro hopping is make it to where i have to contact somebody to get like a verification code before i can like switch and they make it a hassle like i get transferred like seven times you weren't alive yet when in order to use
0: Windows, you had to activate it through the phone. Like, there was no internet. Right? They'd, like, Windows 95, yes, it had internet, but there was no activation servers at the time. So, in order to, when you want to install it, you'd have to activate it, like, literally by calling someone. Um, it wasn't really until XP where they had the servers where you could contact the internet, do it through the internet. Um, can you imagine if that was still the case? Like every time you installed Windows, you had to get online, or you had to open, you had to open up your phone, dial a 1-800 number, and then try. Because the way they had it set up was that you had to read out the like a 16 or 18 or 24 digit number with letters and stuff like that to a robot. And you gotta remember, this was like. 1995 <laughs> so robots weren't really all and they, they weren't really good at listening to you so you could try three it would force you to try three times and they never got it right for three times then you'd have to wait for them to transfer you to someone so you could read them the same number and then your windows would be activated
1: you know I'm just trying to imagine someone with like a thick midwestern accent or, or someone like that just <laughs> just trying to read off numbers and just getting so pissed off i got the machine like no, I didn't say A. Like, I didn't say... Oh, God. <laughs> that That's too much of a hassle, man. Like, yeah. No. We do uh, have a lot of convenience nowadays that's overlooked. Now, pretty- these days, we just use Linux. Yeah, yeah. It fixes a lot of issues, unless you want to play an easy anti-cheat game where they could just press a single button and make it work on Linux. Mm-hmm. But they don't which aggravates the shit out of me. It's one button. Just devs, press it. Walk. It, come on. Oh, yeah. Shadow, I know that you,
0: you still, still, if you want to activate Windows, there is an option to call them. And if you are trying, if you do, okay, so this has become the Windows cast, but I just want to talk about this for a minute. Even like, even as recent as the last time I used Windows, I refused to buy more than one like product key. Like I would never buy more than one. So I used the same Windows 7 product key for, I don't know, 15 years. It actually may have been a Windows XP product key because they let you upgrade, right? Yep. And uh, I use it on all my computers. Like you're only supposed to use it on one. Uh, but the thing is, is that it... W- it w- it recognized if you tried to activate it online through their little their servers, it would recognize that you're trying to activate it on more than one computer. So it would say, hey, uh, you already have using this on one computer, but if this is not true, give us a call. So if you called them, read out that stupid long ass number, it would still tell you, you know, you are trying to use this on more than one computer. But if you contacted, if they, it would then say, if this is an error, Press zero and you can you know speak to somebody. If you lied to them and say, "Hey, I'm just reinstalling it on the same computer," they'd go ahead and activate your version of Windows, even if you weren't actually installing it on the same version of or the same computer. Like I did that over and over again. First of all, it was stupid, uh, but I did that over and over so every time I reinstalled Windows, whether it was on this computer or you know on a on a laptop, all for all my family. That's the way I did it. I was I just refused to buy more than one key. Um, <laughs> so yeah, that's the, I was very um, aware that you
1: um, can still do that. I'm I'm not I'm not pro lying, but I'm not really against that. Like you know, I don't I don't have a moral objection not to installing paying, Windows on your computer.
0: Like I'm not paying a hundred and ten dollars for your license. Like this was before the the. This was before you could easily get like a manufacturer's version of Windows where it's like 10 or 15 bucks. It was back when you actually had to go like to Best Buy and buy a actual physical CD with like a Windows key in it. <laughs> like it was $110. Like I'm not doing that to put that on my grandmother's computer or, you know, <laughs> you know, just it's not that's not going to happen. Like it's not worth paying that amount of money like it feels bad like a family member you're not worth paying 110 but not when you can deal with 10 minutes worth of hassle and get it for free like, so anyways <laughs> why are you people still watching this this is supposed to be a linux podcast <laughs> i promise we're going to talk about linux here very soon so let's move into the contact information if you want to get in contact with us you can do so any number of ways you can subscribe to all of our feeds and stuff like that at the linuxcast.org all of our links and stuff like that will be right there you can there you will be able to find the latest episodes which is not true because i haven't updated it in a long time but uh, you can find some of our episodes anyways. Uh, some recent bro- blog posts, again, uh, those haven't been updated in a long time. But eventually, I'll get a system where I can actually update that stuff. Anyways, uh, you can email us at email at the Linux, or uh, I think it's email at the org is the email address. So I don't actually have that written here for some reason. I don't know why. Um, you can follow uh, Tyler, who goes by Zany Online at YouTube.com slash ZanyOG. He's uh, encroaching 3,000 subscribers close? Yeah. Uh, it's kind of wild nuts it's nuts that, that like this guy's famous it's insane <laughs> it's good um anyways you should definitely go subscribe to him if you enjoy game development and random like uh linuxy stuff every once in a while yeah. open bsd um he's literally like i'm surprised he hasn't done videos on like wildlife exploration or something at this point because uh, the guy's all over the place i, I tell you um <laughs> He he could not have chosen a better username than Zany if he had tried.
1: <laughs> like I mean, fits. I have videos on me building a wagon, so, <laughs> <It's>, you know. <laughs> ah, ah,
0: it's true. Uh, he does. Uh, <laughs> so, anyways, go, go subscribe to him. You can subscribe to the LinuxCast at youtube.com slash LinuxCast. All of our contact information, including our links to Twitter, Mastodon, all that stuff will be at the LinuxCast.org slash contact. So, uh, also, links to the store are on that website as well, so check out the store. Okay, so that is the contact information. We're going to move on now to the news. Now, before we move on to the news, I'm just going to make a change to the podcast that Tyler has nothing, he he knows nothing about. We're, We're making a change to the podcast. So, starting next week, we're going to be stripping out the news for one week, and we're going to be doing a listener feedback during this period of the show. So, uh, we'll be doing that every other week. So, next week will be listener feedback, the week after that we'll go back to news, then we'll do listener feedback, and so on and so forth. So, if you have, when I say listener feedback, I mean like questions, uh, comments on the things that we're talking about, whatever it be. Uh, You can get those things to us any number of ways. You can email me, you can leave a comment on this video here, uh, or you can... Tweet at me, I guess, is be a good way to do that. Um, email is probably the best way to do that. So email at thelinuxcast.org if you have things that you want to say. So uh, that'll be next week in place of the news. So, Tyler, every week, you and I, well, not every, every week. Previous to this, not anymore. It's it, it, They're just going to have to deal with our news being slightly delayed from now on, so we'll be doing it every week. But usually we have the most latest breaking news here on the podcast. I should have like a sound effect or something like the, the CNN breaking news thing definitely should have that. So uh, you have a a news item thing for us. So what is your news item thing for us this week?
1: This article about Gnome web is now like one of the best browsers on Linux because it has extensions now. (laughs) Okay. Um, Awesome. I mean, like I don't, I don't really I don't really know what to think about this article at all because it's, it's very much praising um, Gnome web and essentially it all boils down to like, now that it has extensions, it's one of the best browsers on Linux. And I wanted to bring this up because I don't know that that's true. Like. What, what, yeah, like this is this is a difficult one because you're like, uh, well, I mean, like, look, extensions being added is a great thing, but I don't, I, like, I, I've never used GNOME Web and been like, all this needs is extensions, and it's what, great. What web engine does
0: it use? Like, does it use Gecko or is it a front end for Chromium
1: or is it a, like QT web engine or something? It, it's either QT web engine or, um, or crap um you you said the first one that you gecko. said the fire- gecko yeah it it's i believe it's one of those two i i'm i don't know i think it's i think it's a gecko well it has firefox sign-in
0: so i'm assuming that it's gecko then yeah um so okay let me just posit this question if if, if that's true and you know neither one of us are experts so we don't really know we're just guessing out of rash as usual Um, if that's true though why would you use this and not just use Firefox? Unless you're so attached to the way Gnome de- designs software. Like if you really want a GTK browser, that'd have to be like the only reason why, right?
1: Well, I mean, like, I think the only two options are either you really like like GTK applications or you're using Gnome. Like that would probably be the only two. Well, see really this, make the sense. thing is, is that
0: the Linux experiment um, he did a, a browser thing where he was trying to find a, a new browser for himself and he used Gnome web for like a, a, a month or something like that. And he had so many problems with websites rendering because of course you did um, yep. that he couldn't use it. It was, it was unusable. Adding extensions doesn't fix that.
1: Okay. Yeah. I think it needed extensions, but I don't think extensions solve a lot. Like when I've used it, like my main thing with GNOME Web is like YouTube is either like doesn't load properly or loads properly but just slow as shit. So like I don't I don't think an extension like I don't think I could get an extension to be like, Oh yeah, YouTube's fast now. Yeah. See
0: the thing is is that if this I think I think we might be a bit a little bit hypocritical here. Um more mainly because if this was Qt Browser saying it had extensions now, we'd be both be jumping down, up and down in this in, our, in the streets. You know, if 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 we could get real ad blocking in Qt Browser, if, like yeah. I, I'm never
1: using Firefox again. You know. Yeah. I've I've heard that some people have gotten like I don't think it's uBlock, but they've gotten some extra way of doing like ad block in cube browser. I think they are. call it Grease Monkey or something like that. Well, Grease Monkey, I know is like, I think Grease Monkey is their like extension, like method, like well, you use Grease Monkey. I, to... I don't
0: know. All I know is that every time I say, oh, cube browser doesn't have ads, somebody points me at Grease Monkey, but there's no, as far as I know, there's no good like documentation on how to run it. But the thing is, is like, uh, like last year or two years ago, whatever, they implemented Brave's uh, ad blocking in cube Browser, and like that sounds good on paper, but it it still doesn't block all the ads. <laughs> it doesn't do a good good job. So so if cube Browser had extensions, if this that if that's what this story was, we'd be much happier, uh, and and we wouldn't make be making as much fun of. But then I I made the same comment about Conquer. Like do people like do you? Do people still like actually use Epiphany and GNOME Web? Like th- is there actually like somebody out there that says, Yeah, this is my daily driver, I don't have any other yeah. browsers.
1: Yes. Cause if if there's a lot of people out there that are using the um I can't remember what it's called, the Libra Wolf or whatever browser, like and they rave about it, trust me, there are definitely people that use GNOME Web because LibraWolf can't render like 80% of the web. And there's people out there that are like, swear by it, love it. And like major websites that like I've had to use for work or like clients and stuff, like just don't Run at all, like they, they literally, like it blocks so much JavaScript that like yeah. I think it blocks all JavaScript. So there's a lot of websites that just won't load. And if people are using that, then there's definitely people that are like, GNOME Web is fine for me, which is not like it's not like it's a, that's a problem. It's well, great.
0: No, you you can use whatever you want. I'm just it's it's like it'd be like being Amish. <laughs> mean, that's really offensive, I'm sure. But I don't the thing about Amish is you can make fun of them on the internet all they want. They're never gonna know. I mean, just <laughs> it's really really horrible um and i don't mean uh, beautiful people they're just i, I made just j- this joke on twitter the other day like uh, you 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 pass you you're driving along you you pass an amish guy with his horse and buggy and he's passing a, a gas station just laughing his ass off because he doesn't need it you know <laughs> <laughs> um but anyways all the completely off the point it, using using gnome web would feel like you're living in the amazon jungle you know what i mean it's just or you know living in the boondocks off the grid so you're theodore kaczynski or something you're the, the unabomber you, you know it, it's like yeah technically you can browse the web but it's not a great experience so you probably don't do it all that often you know what I mean? It's, yeah. It's it's like if you wanted to put as much pain in your way, in the way of like cat videos as much as possible. Like you don't want to watch cat videos anymore, so you use the
1: worst possible browser ever. Um, well, uh, I mean, yeah. I, I think I think there's a lot of people that don't need a lot. Like they don't really like going to heavy websites and they tend to avoid them. And for stuff like that, like I think the more simplistic browsers are fine. Like they're just fine. Like you wouldn't notice a problem, but you can't recommend that for most people. Like most people are going to need a fully featured browser, which is, I think we all agree that that's not really the future that we want. Like we don't want our browsers becoming a secondary We don't want it to become Vivaldi, is what you're saying. Yes. Um. I mean, Vivaldi is atrocious, man. Like it's just yes. it's atrocious. I, I made this tweet that
0: well, about a month ago, actually. It's like Vivaldi is the Emacs of web browsers. <laughs> it has everything, man. It's just it's it, you have a web browser. It's a base thing that's meant for browsing the web, but you've built so much stuff on top of it. Um. Yeah.
1: But uh, it, it, you would have to give it also the spin of it, it also pulls like, a lot from open source, and it's just, like, we do, don't steal our shit. Like, our 5% of our browser that, like, we made, don't touch it. Like, that's ours. Like, yeah. it's special. Um, at,
0: at this point, I was like, I'm, there was a point where both you and I were big proponents of Microsoft Edge, so we don't have a lot of room to talk in terms of proprietary browsers. So, that that's just, but whatever it doesn't matter before we move on to my news i just want to take a moment to pol- apologize to anyone who's related to an amish person um because i know that like, i know that i'm gonna get an email saying well that was really offensive you shouldn't have said that i know i know i apologize don't cancel me um, oh
1: I, I, don't, I don't i don't think that was something that you need to apologize to i don't think so either but i'm covering my bases I I I yeah. love like the Amish men, dude. Like my favorite thing in the world. Like there's an Amish community not too far from here, and they sell like a whole bunch of bread and stuff. Oh, oh they, they my make god. the greatest shit, man. Like I, I don't know and what they put. They're too. definitely putting weed or something in their food because oh my it's god,
0: like, really it good. good. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> like that. Like we had some Amish potatoes. Like they they had a, always had a stand up uh, before Walmart's like were like everywhere. Like like. You, you, on the same corner you could go to you know now you can see walmart but before there used to be like one walmart it was like 30 or 40 miles away from us but we wanted to shop there because it was like really cheap it's got to remember this is the 90s but some along the way there there was an amish amish community and along the road they'd have their little stand right and mm-hmm. they had the some of the greatest food just so good
1: um yeah now i'm gonna now I'm f- <laughs> just in case anyone is not like really used to the U S or like rural parts of the U S and you ever start traveling out to rural areas. If you ever get to a place that's pretty rural, ask if there's an Amish community nearby and then go get food there. Cause it will be amazing. Uh, particularly if you can get preserves, um, from like an Amish community, almost every Amish community that I've ever bought, like stuff like preserves or bread at, it is incredible it is like, treat yourself. It It is so good. Um, and you also kind of get to meet like some, like they live completely different. Like it's an interesting way of life. Mm-hmm. Like it, it, it just is. And they're very different and they're always really accepting and nice. So if you ever <laughs> are traveling, check it out.
0: Remember at the beginning when I said no tangents, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, did it last long. <laughs> <laughs> okay, moving on to my news of the week. Uh, mine is going to kind of play into the main topic a little bit. So my my topic was, uh, or my news this week, was a Fedora 37, they proposed for Fedora 37 to allow unrestricted access to FlatHub. So if you've used Fedora in the past, from, from 36 behind, ever since Flatpak became a thing, you'll know that the actual use of Flatpak was very handicapped and they didn't have access to like the repository. Like Flathub is where everything is when it comes to Flatpak. And by default, Fedora did not have this added to their system. And they had no way to do it outside of the terminal or the software center. You had to do this through using uh, either a Flatpak itself. So you could go to Flathub, hit a button, and it would install into your software center or you could use a, a command line uh, a script or whatever so it's interesting and the reason why that's the case is because flathub contains software that is proprietary so it had like google chrome is there you know it has like davinci resolve on there there's a ton of software on it that is, is licensed under something that is incompatible with the ethos of fedora it's the reason why you can't get nvidia drivers out of the box on fedora you have to enable a repo in order to get them they don't do anything that is proprietary except for the kernel blobs obviously uh the the, the point is is that you know they're thinking about allowing FlatHub to be enabled by default uh in fedora 37 which i think is is huge news and also great news because um, you know i'm not a am always gonna be an aur guy but Flatpak is quickly becoming the secondary package management system on all of my computers. Like when there's a something that I either can't get from the AUR or I'm just more per, I just I'm more interested in it being like 100% stable and I'm not interested in constant updates. I install the Flatpak version of it, and I think that Fedora finally embracing FlatHub sees Flatpak becoming more of like a first-class citizen, not only on Fedora, but everywhere else too, because it's really good. Um, yeah. And I think the reason why they're doing this is something we're can talk. we going to talk about later, is that they're more and more focusing on the development of Silverblue and Kinawhite. And if you want to have access to a lot of software, you'd have to enable Flathub. Having it out of the box may, means that both of those containerized uh, immutable systems have access to way more software out of the box. Yeah.
1: And I also don't see this being like, I don't really think that you can construe this as being a bad thing. Like it's not, it's not like having easy access to proprietary stuff is a bad thing. Like I, I, I don't for the people that want proprietary stuff um, from flat hub, you're only making it, easier to get it for the people that want it for your users that want it. And then for the people that don't want it, they don't, you don't have to get it. Maybe and, you don't install it, Yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, it's, it's not like that, like flat hub or the software center is deceptive about the licensing on something. They make it pretty clear. Like they have a section for it. like, they show you what it's licensed under. So it's an, I, I don't, I don't think this is a problem. And if you're against this, I don't understand why it's, this is only making things easier for people and more convenient. And if you're against the, the, the proprietary aspect of some of the things that you can get on flat hub, then you don't have to install them. They're not being shoved on you, um, but you just, now you'll be able to see them, which I don't, I don't, again, I don't think that's really annoying. Like, Come on. Not that big. Not, not that big of a deal. Well, I mean,
0: just I, I've never understood this idea that if you hide away the proprietary software, you can just kind of pretend it doesn't exist. It's like eating a whole pan of brownies in the bathroom just and then saying the, the calories don't count. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. That, that yeah. really the way that, that kind of stuff works. You know what I mean? <laughs>
1: <laughs> you know, so... Just because it's 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 there and it's one of these like this is it's the same argument we had when we were trying out elementary OS. And like we talked a lot about this, about it being a new user focused distro that when when they switched over, I think it was like either six or six dot one. I can't remember which one we were trying out at the time. Um, but when they switched over, they were relying only on Flatpaks, and because they most of their native applications were not Flatpaks, and they weren't pulling from FlatHub, their software center was like a barren wasteland.
0: It was, so, and, the, and they weren't even doing it because of the Libre thing. They were doing it because they wanted only FlatHub or Flatpaks that conform to their design standards you know they only wanted ones that looked like they were designed for elementary OS. which I, I what are you doing <laughs> like, yeah. like you yeah. had you, you i when they announced that they were going to switch to flat pack only like i was like that's a good idea because you yeah. know, you're going to have access to all of the software it's going to be amazing like mm. but no, that's not how it worked. Like you couldn't even install Firefox. Like you, yep. The only thing you had was Epiphany. It was the only thing that was there. And you couldn't install Firefox without enabling Flathub. And this is a new user distro. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? It, you know, this is for people who aren't going to know how to install Flathub out of the box.
1: You know, it was
0: just...
1: I was like... And Elementary's OS design scheme caters more towards Mac OS users. And could you imagine someone who has never tried Linux has maybe watched one or two Linux videos in their life before and they install elementary os successfully boot into it they're all excited and then they go into the software center expecting to see something like the app store on mac os and then see that like i mean we both checked that out there was like maybe 50 applications in there maybe it was a wasteland of applications like what are Users can't do anything, and expecting someone to know how to, for one, add more flat packs is wild. Like, yeah. you expect them to know to go to FlatHub, go to the Quick Start section, click on the distro, then copy the command line, at, like, like thing, and run it. Like. I would understand that if there was a pop-up that explained exactly a yeah. step-by-step process to do it, but that didn't exist. So, it's it's just, it didn't make any sense. And also, why would you not? Like, there's no, uh, I, I get the design scheme thing, but that's a pretty loose argument. Well, um, that elementary always has been about as
0: much control over their operating system as possible. And it, when you enable a third-party repository, you have no control. But like, then why did you switch to the flat pack? Why didn't you just come up with your own random, you know, package formatting system if you want that much control? I mean, nobody would hardly ever use it, and you would just make it much harder for developers to make their software available across, you know, all of Linux. But then you'd have your Type fisted control because that's the thing about elementary s that has always bothered me is like they've tried as much as possible to make this thing as apple-like as possible the entire ecosystem the, from the design language to not having like a minimized button on their on their uh, windows to all of this stuff like they've tried their hardest to be as much a, like apple as possible and the thing is is that eh, by tightening down their their desktop environment and their p- package management strategy so much, they've made it less good. You know, the, the thing about Apple, like you, you can say all you want about Mac OS. But that thing is full-featured. Like, that thing has all the features that you probably want. It does things in, in weird ways. It definitely is closed down. But if you want to install a, an application from the web, you can do so. And it's going to pop up all these warnings that are going to tell you that you're going to die if you do this. And, you know, yeah. you you should download everything from the Mac App Store. But you can do it. Like, it's it's full-featured.
1: Yeah. The problem, I, I, just to expand on what you're saying, you, you mean software-wise, it's yeah, full feet Yeah, yeah, software-wise, yeah. Again, like, like it has all the things that you need to use, and
0: while it has restrictions, you can use it as a as an operating system, right? With um, elementary OS, they like they took that ethos and just kind of made it so constricted because, and, and you know, they kind of had to because it's a really really small team, right? They can they can. Focus on making such a, you know, it's the reason why it took them so long to get that last that six version out, and why even when it came out it felt incomplete because it's a really small team. But the the thing is is that when you are a small team, the greatest thing about open source software and Linux in general is that other people are there. Like this is a huge mungus com- community that does a whole bunch of stuff. We have we duplicate effort all over the place. Um, there is no reason to be so tight-fisted on your idea for what you want with a distro to, to shoot yourself in the foot basically by saying hey we got to do it this way and not have like FlatHub is there like like it, it was it's there. Use well, the damn
1: I think, thing. I think this is something that trips up a lot of distributions. And to bring it back to Fedora, I think Fedora doing this is a fantastic decision, if as long as they go through with it, with making FlatHub just there by default. A lot of distributions have a, either a handful of goals or a singular goal in mind, and they not lose focus, but can sometimes forget that what makes the powerhouse operating systems that most people use is software. Like Mm -hmm. if you, if you forget that having the software that people need is an important thing, then you can't complain when your user base shrinks or is just, extremely niche and very small because for most people what what is a make or break is do you have x application that i need and if you're artificially limiting yourself software software wise it's not a great thing for new user like like not, I almost said retention, but like bringing in new users. Mm -hmm. It's it's, it's not a great thing. People need, especially when you're focused or at least potentially focused on new users, the ease of that getting that new software is the most important part. If your process of getting applications or software is a little bit more in depth like let's say like with the aur like you know you're not just going to like install an arch distro um and then if it doesn't already come with an aur helper in there it's not a a, an immediate knowledge thing for a new user of knowing how to install an aur application or anything but with arch their documentation is so good that once you find out that a certain application is on the AUR and you're like, how in the hell do I install cool. something from the AUR? There's tons of guides on it, step-by-step guides to do it. And if if your distro is not like that, like like Arch, where it's more aimed towards advanced users, or really advanced users just means somebody who's used it a lot and yeah. probably has experienced that problem and then figured out how to solve it. Um If your distro is not focused for that, it's focused on new users. Getting that software and making that process as simple as possible is the most important thing. That's how you get new users. And I think for right now, like retaining Linux users is not hard. Linux has gotten so good nowadays, bringing in new or like not bringing in, keeping Linux users and not having them have to go off to use Windows for some reason like Zoom or something for business, it's gotten to the point now where that's really not a problem. The thing now is is how can we make Linux easier for everyone to use? Everyone to get uh, in on uh, and attractive
0: for new users, and that's where elementary went wrong. Is because The the thing that Elementary OS has always had for it is that they had a very vocal community of people who used it and recommended it to new people. And when they took two and a half years to go from version 5 to version 6, they lost a lot of that word mouth because a lot of the you know people who were big proponents of it moved to other places you know like they moved to other distros because they needed things that were updated they needed a newer kernel they, you know they bought new hardware and they needed you know a kernel that would actually run their new graphics card or whatever so they moved to different you know they moved to ubuntu because it has a newer kernel or whatever uh, you know so so they they shot themselves in the foot by taking so long to update but and then when it finally did come out it was worse you know like yeah it had, it had some cool features like the, the dark mode in elementary os gorgeous like it really looked really nice uh, accent colors fantastic um but then you can download firefox you know <laughs> like, yeah. like you can download or, like it doesn't have to be fire, like i just say firefox because that's the open source browser that everybody uses on linux that if you're going to use an open source browser that's the one you're going to use never mind one, what most people would want to install like be chrome you know like you could you can install chrome easily cuz you can't install a dev package out of the box on 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 on,
1: on I, elementary. I think the biggest thing with that with that release of elementary os which i mean we're talking a lot like Negatively about Elementary OS. It's not like it's a terrible district, which wasn't even the freaking topic, by the way. Just exactly, <laughs> yeah, completely moved off. But uh, all, all I will say is, I think what really hurt hurt them in that way. That release would brought back people who already use Elementary OS and moved away from it because it was just older kernel or, mm-hmm. you know, it's just, it had just gotten not as easier to use. It probably brought them back in and they enjoyed a lot of the newer features and were fine with just getting flat hub or whatever. But I think for everybody, like when that release came out, it's been so long that people were very vocal about it. And there was a lot of hubbub about the new release of elementary mm-hmm. OS. And, and so for got a lot them. of people who are new and are like, oh, a lot of people are talking about elementary OS. I guess I'll give this a shot. They shot themselves in the foot big time on that release because there are definitely plenty of new users that tried it out and then were like, no, and left. Yeah. And we'll never give it another shot.
0: Just along those lines, and so we can, seriously, we need to move on. But I don't know if you know who Paul Throt is. He's a big Windows blogger, right? He, he has been a Windows blogger for like 30 years. All he covers is Windows, so it doesn't matter if you don't know him. But that's the point. He he, he, all, he only covers Windows. He has a he has a blog about Windows, and he logged about the Elementary OS 6 release. Like that's how out there this release was because everyone. Uh, even like some people who were just kind of follow linux, you know, in the periphery, they paid attention to that release and that's how bad it was. Like you got on there like like everybody knew this they they had a inflow of new people and they got real they realized once they got there it was not good. You know, and that's that's I mean we, one of the things we didn't talk about was the whole fallout of Elementor. because like the co-founders like got in a big you know Bruhaha, yeah. and one of them left and or one of them decided that they're going to leave and then they had to kind of fight over who owned the company um yeah. who knows if they're going to be a, a version 7 at this point who knows um yeah. anyways uh we were talking we were talking about flat hub and flat pack and the reason why i said that would lead well into the main topic is because our main topic this week is containerization and uh when i say containerization i mean snaps flat packs those things, but also immutable file systems where basically they've containerized the entire Linux stack. Like the only thing that you have access to is the home directory. That's where you're going to live. You can make no changes to the, you know, the underlying root file system. Um, so I wanted to talk about that. And the reason why I want to talk about that is because I've been using Keno White right now for almost two months off and on. Most of my time has still been been spent in Arch just because, you know, I have work to do and that's where all my stuff is and it's just easier that way. Um, Also been having problems with KDE, but that's kind of beside the point. Um, So I've been using Kinoa and Kinoa is the KDE version of Silverblue, which is the immutable file system for Fedora. Um, Just a brief talk about how that's going. It is good um but also amazingly restrictive like there are some things that you just if you're a linux nerd you're kind of used to being able to do like uh and add an x sessions file you know can't do that in in, in silverblue um not easily anyways uh or y- compile dwm in like the slash opt file uh directory uh, which is something some people do um can't do that on, on, on Kinoa or Silverblue, um, at least again, not easily. And, and that's kind of the point is like you're, the idea behind the future of Linux is that when you download a distribution, you have access to your home directory and you can do whatever you want. You can install whatever programs you want, usually from a containerized package manager like Flatpak or a Snaps, probably flat packs at this point and uh, that's how you get all of your applications but you can if you want download things from uh, like a terminal file ma- a terminal package manager like uh, rpm austria i believe is what it's called and you can do that if you want to and that will then force you to actually reboot your computer in order for that application to uh, be installed because you've made alterations to the file structure that you don't actually have permissions to do until you reboot your system Uh, but the future of linux is that that underlying root file system is the same on every person's distribution or every person's computer so it's exactly the same that way when they do an update to that system it's easy enough for them to do it without having to worry about different Changes without any of your the user facing changes having conflicts with things that are ha, ha, that are going to be in the update a better delta up delta style update so that you can just kind of put in the bits and pieces instead of having the whole king caboodle downloaded you know so the future of linux is supposedly this and i've been using it now for two months and um it makes me sad for linux so tyler uh before i talk about why it makes me sad what do you think about the future of linux in this way
1: um I, i to be honest immutable file systems i don't think are the future of desktop linux at all i think they're more um relevant to, like, enterprise, like, environments where, like, uh, essentially, like, call center environments, stuff like that, where you have hundreds, if not thousands of people um, all working at computers doing seeming, like, pretty menial tat like you know like not very intensive like system-wise demanding tasks like they just need to be able to take phone calls log notes do all that type of stuff um i think in enterprise environments immutable file systems make sense for that because you can't have uh you know an, an employee just do something stupid and like brick the system or whatever they're they're limited to like their shit, like where they should be on the system, and they can't really damage anything. I think it makes sense for that kind of environment. And then having a lot of your applications be containers makes sense too, because that also means that, I mean, it takes care of a lot of security issues or doesn't really take care of them, but at the very least potentially mitigates a lot of security issues. So I think that is good. On the desktop though, I don't think immutable file systems make much sense they especially if you know what you're doing and you like to customize stuff on your system like yeah that's not like it's not fun it's not a good solution um I, I really just think contain like containers for when it pertains to the future of the desktop linux space i think containerization is only a good solution for mass distributing like big applications like you know your small like window managers and stuff like that i don't think it's ever going to be popular that those are distributed in like flat packs or snaps or anything like that um but for applications like discord um bigger applications like steam blender obs stuff like this i i think it makes it makes a lot of sense for them to start using containers for that just because it it makes it easier to distribute stuff like and it's easier on i wouldn't say new users but just casual users it's easier to uh especially on something like fedora uh, like a even adding, after you've added Flathub, or let's just say they make it to where it's just immediately there, getting a flat pack is not hard at, at, yeah. at all. Like it's super easy for everybody. I, I think for those types of bigger applications, it makes sense and it'll probably move to most big applications, I feel like will probably move towards. Um, Distributing mainly in containers, so they'll probably still have the option to get it from source, and you know, well, assuming it's open source, obviously they'll still have that option there. But you know, like when you go to their website, the download link will reference a flat pack or a snap or whatever. Um, I, I think that's probably like the way that we're moving, and I don't think it's a bad thing. Um, it, for bigger applications, eh, it, it's fine if you don't want it in a container, you. It's open source. You don't have to get it in a container. It's fine. Yeah. Um, but it just makes it easier on developers and ensuring that they're able to get it out to users in an easy way. I think that's good. Well, and it, immutable it, it, file systems, though, I don't think they're going to take off. Um, I don't think they're great for the desktop. Yeah. Um, see. Okay.
0: So a couple things about the things you said. So containerized applications make a ton of sense because one of the like. For example, it's not a great example, but just bear with me for a second. If you've ever downloaded Pandoc, like I use Pandoc every single day. And basically what Pandoc does is it, it allows you to convert file formats from one to another. So for example, let's say you had an HTML file you wanted to translate it to or convert it to Markdown. You can do that with Pandoc. But Pandoc is written in Haskell. And uh, if you know anything about Haskell, you'll know that it has a ton of libraries, like a literal ton. It's the same thing if you download an application that's written in Python. Python has a ton of libraries, you download those things, and whatever. And it doesn't really matter you know, if it's a GUI or, or, or a terminal thing, you're gonna have to deal with libraries. And the thing about containerized applications that makes it so appealing to developers is that they can package the libraries and everything that their application needs right inside the container and they don't have to worry about version numbers or any of that stuff. So you can just get that thing. It's always going to work forever and ever. That's the reason why containerized applications make a ton of sense, right? It's the reason why, um, you know, they've become so popular. You know, it's a a really good idea. Now, uh, we've had some problems with the idea in terms of actually implementing it. So in traditional linux fashion we couldn't agree on a format so we've created a couple you know you know that's that's the way we've done it and uh, flatpak now seems to have been uh, the format that most distributions seems to have kind of settled on there are a few that still use snaps and snaps i think the reason why that hasn't you know uh, caught on more in outside of Ubuntu is because of the you know it snaps and they're not very good. Um, mm-hmm. So c- containerized applications make a ton of sense but the immutable file system you said you don't think it's going to catch on and I'm going to have to disagree with you unfortunately um, and I'm saying it unfortunately for a good thing um, and that's the reason why reason why I say that is because the Steam Deck it has an immutable, immutable file system and as more and more people are introduced to Linux through that type of thing, uh, we're gonna see that more and more. I, I, it's almost guaranteed. And I've been listening to people who are much more smart about this than I am. Like, there's a there's a podcast called Two and a Half Admins. Those guys know a lot of stuff. Uh, another one of the one of the late night Linux versions has Martin Wip, Wimpress on it, and they were talking about this. And all those guys are pretty much convinced that this is going to be the future of Linux. In the if you want to download a distro, you're going to be downloading something that has an immutable file system. And I can understand that thing. Like from, like let's just take the the steam the steam uh, the steam deck. That I don't know why that word was hard. Let's just take that as an example. Of the reason why it's a good thing, right? When you have a a product that you're selling to people who uh, have no idea what the hell they're doing. They they don't care that this thing is Linux. They're just buying it to play games on. You don't want them to have access to the, fi- to the file system. It would be, be like giving people access to the file system on a PlayStation or an Xbox. You know what I mean? It would probably break the PlayStation or the Xbox if they didn't know what they are doing. You know what I mean? That's the reason why an immutable file system in that situation is actually a really good idea. Because you're dealing with people who don't know anything about Arch Linux. I mean, seriously, that thing's Arch Linux, and you're giving it to people who have no clue how to spell Linux, let alone use it. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs>
1: I don't know. I think the problem with this example, though, is because we're talking about a game console. I mean, that's really what the Steam Deck is. At its core, it's just a handheld console. People
0: are going to see the success of that in... You know, people being able to use that and say, hey, this is maybe this is a way to get more new users. I mean, I don't think they're actually actually I don't think that that's that's true at all. I don't think that they're going to see see that and say that's how you're going to get new users to use Linux. Instead, I think that they're going to see a way to make development of Linux easier across Linux distributions, so it doesn't really matter what distribution you're using. If you have this set up, it's easier for the development cycle to continue on in a steady pace because you're not worrying about different versions of the kernel, you're not worrying about different versions of the file system. It's all exactly the same, and that's how you deal with updating it. You don't have to worry about there being 12 different versions of Ubuntu out there. They all use exactly the same one. You know what I mean? Every single one uses exactly the
1: same one. Right, it, but, it, like That doesn't really pertain to the immutable file system, though, because every distro is going to have different kernel versions, even if, regardless of an immutable file not system. Not if they
0: use an immutable... For example, let's just say Ubuntu went immutable tomorrow. Uh, every single flavor would then be using the exact same file system across the board. The only thing that would be different would be the the layer on top of it. That'd be it. Um obviously it'd be more complicated than that, so don't at me and tell me how I'm drastically oversimplifying I don't care. That would be the point, is that they would be able to uh, significantly lower the development time over having to create an ISO for every single version of Ubuntu. Let's just ignore the flavors. Ubuntu itself has four or five different things that they have to put out. They have like Ubuntu Core, they have Ubuntu Server, they have the Ubuntu Desktop, they have a whole bunch of different Ubuntu stuff, you know, ISOs that they have to take care of and that's just this version they also have to take care of every single version since like 1404 still you know being updated you know so if they had an immutable file system where they knew that that underlying operating system was exactly the same on every single computer so they didn't have to worry about different uh, you know uh, hardware blobs in the kernel and stuff like that, all this stuff that developers have to deal with, it's all exactly the same. It makes it easier for them to develop. Now, obviously, not a developer, so I'm sure I got some of that wrong.
1: Well, um, but see, the immutable file system has nothing to do with that because d- different distros are still going to have different uh, l- like layout. Like, What does uh, Ubuntu or- care
0: about what Arch Linux
1: is doing? They don't, they're, This is not about how... You well, know. But Ubuntu is not the software developers. They're just the distro. Software developers, like the, I, I don't think many software developers have an issue with the layout of a distro or that really causing problems. No, it, I, it has, been, it has nothing to the do librarians. with the
0: the, 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 layout. It's all, it's the root file system. It has nothing to do with any of the other stuff. That's the reason why Kino White and Silverblue are basically the same underlying system. You can update them both at the exact same time. It pulls from the same source of code. Even though one uses KDE, one uses GNOME. You know, it, the kitty and the GNOME part doesn't matter whatsoever because it's living in, a, in a, an abstraction layer above the root, root file system. You know, that, that, that root file system is exactly the same on Kena White as it is on, on Silverblue, and that and they means they, that they can update them both at the exact same time with the same stuff that they had to put into them, without having to deal with, hey, I have to, all right, so I have to go update the stuff on Silverblue and then go do the exact same work slightly differently on Kena White. That makes sense, um, and, and it's not. We're saying I'm I'm saying this like it's the future of Linux, but regular Linux isn't going to go like, go away like tomorrow or even 20 years from now. You're still going to be able to download Gentoo and do all of your compiling as much as you want
1: to. That that there's. Zero percent. I, I mean, yeah, I, I totally get what you're saying. Like all, all you're saying is that for the majority of people in the future, they'll probably be running an immutable file
0: system be, because it's so much easier for developers. I, I don't think that. I think that you're right that this doesn't give a. And from my experience over the last two months, this doesn't give regular users a lot of benefit. For for developers, yes, it's if you're a developer, Kino White and Silverblue are fantastic because it gives you an opportunity to. Mess around with containers and deal with the 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 toolbox in both Silverblue and and White in a way that you can then kind of start working on developing your your own containerized applications. That's the reason why it's really good there, and it makes it easier for you to test software too because you know that the underlying system where all of this stuff relies that your application might rely on is exactly the same no matter what computer it's on, right? Um, So for developers it makes a ton of sense for regular everyday users i don't think most i mean you and i are going to care like we yeah we're tinkers yeah. right and that's the reason why i said earlier that it makes me sad for the, the future of linux is because one of the reasons why i like linux so much is because you can you have control over everything like you have if you want to go delete your etsy file you can do that i mean you're you have a broken computer at the end of it, but you could do it if you wanted to do that. Uh, with this, you couldn't. You, there's no way you can, you don't have access to the Etsy
1: file or directory. It's just not there. Well, I mean, it's there, but you can't delete it. Um, yeah. And, and you're, you're very right. I think for us, it's just going to be, we now have, like, I think the sad part is if the if you're right and the and immutable file systems do become more popular, it's and more and more distributions switch over to them, that just means we're going to have like the, a lot of the distributions that we, you know, like, or maybe spin off distributions. Like, let's say like arch doesn't go immutable file system, but like most arch derivatives like Arco, um, Endeavor, yeah. you know, all of them start switching over to more immutable file systems and everything. Um, I, I think like it, it'll be sad for us just because we'll lose out on the, how much we enjoy that distro. But I, I mean I come I, I agree with what you're saying. I think for most people it will be better. And it's my thing would be is if if we have any software developers in this live stream, um come over to like if you if you would, come and message me on my Discord uh personally or in programming chat or something like that. And let me know if software development wise, an immutable file system makes your life easier or at least potentially easier because my thinking is like if it's an immutable file system if you're an actual linux distro developer and it, it obviously makes your life easier because when you're updating a system, you don't really have to worry about someone like changing out different core aspects of the system and in an upgrade cycle that causing some issue for them ripping which- out system d yeah, yeah. Like you, you don't really have to worry about any crazy crap like that going on when you push out an update for all your users. Um, but I don't, I, 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 don't see it making software development that much more easy. It, it might make it easier in some ways, but to like it, from what I've been told about software development, the aspect that helps the most is the containerization with having libraries mm-hmm. not like you specifying the libraries you need and no one accidentally changing See, or updating or whatever.
0: The thing about that is that you got to remember not I'm not a developer so I haven't been able to test any of that stuff. Like, like the the toolbox functionality of of Keenonwide is there and it's basically I I don't I don't even really know how to explain it because I haven't been able to use it in its intended use, like I've created a toolbox where you can, like you can install apps through D, because like DNF does not work on Kinoite, right? Because right? it's that's how you would install on regular Fedora. You use RPM tree and Kino and Silverblue, but you can use DNF inside of a toolbox to install software. Um, and the toolbox is like a, a containerized version of the operating system like where you can actually make changes and stuff like that. And then you can, uh, I, I, I'm just assuming here that you can, if you're inside of that toolbox then you can make, you can do your development work inside of there and kind of like emulate certain, I, like, I don't even know, like, it's really hard to explain and I can't explain it well cause I'm not a developer. So I don't know what the actual benefits of this for a developer are. Uh, I'm, but I'm, from what I've heard other people say is that it's easier or better to do development work on a immutable file system. Now, somebody in the in the chat said that containerized applications and immutable file systems aren't the same thing we know that like we, we're yeah. we're not trying to say that they're the same thing but they they definitely do go hand in hand like there's a reason why the primary way of installing applications on silverblue and Kinoite is flatpak or flat yeah flatpak um, and yeah. if you're using and, ubuntu core
1: it's yeah, they're not related but they might as well be Right. You know, like they're used in in tangent with each other a lot. Because tr- trust me, if the only way to
0: install software on Kino White was to use RPM OSTree, no one would ever use it because you'd have to you'd have to reboot your computer after every single installation. It would it. it that that's worse than Windows, by the way. That'd, that'd be yeah. worse than using Windows because at least with Windows there are some applications that you can just use without rebooting. Uh, it'd be like installing a virus software on your Windows machine every single time because you have to reboot it after every single. It, it, it'd be horrible. Um, doing it once, you're not supposed to use RPMaster. You're supposed to use Flatpak. That's the reason why it's acceptable that RPMaster does things that way. Um, so, yeah. Um, Gosh, its art says that it's basically desktop and uh, Android on desktop. That's exactly it. Android has an immutable operating system.
1: Yeah. Um. And, I mean, and, uh, and
0: and to go along with both Tyler and my point, it makes it hard to use Android as an enthusiast because you don't have access to all the cool bits. Like you don't you don't have you have to root your file, you, you root your phone in order to install really cool awesome pieces of software. You know what I mean? And that is why it makes me a little sad that this could be the future of Linux. And then it makes it harder. It, it, it makes it feel like it's taking part of what makes Linux good. You know what I mean? Part of the things that makes Linux like
1: fantastic for the enthusiasts. I'm not talking about regular people. I mean, I'm talking about nerds. Wait, hold on. I, I think it's better. Instead of saying it makes it good, makes it fun for us. Yeah, like, yeah exactly. It, yeah. It, yeah. It's much more, like, the way Android and, like, Fedora Silverblue and and everything is going is it's it's a safer environment for users in general. Like, you're not as likely to break things. You're also, the things that you're using are less likely to break themselves. It's, the whole system around is just safer, but it makes it less fun when you want to, like, play with shit. Yeah, yeah. Like, uh- Jan in the
0: um, chat says you can apply live with the op- op- RP monster thing. I, I'm, I am aware of that. I just don't remember it when I use it. And because I don't, you're not supposed to use it very often, right? You like you use it to like install HTOP or something. You know what I mean? Uh, you're not going to use it for the vast majority of your software comes from FlatHub and Flatpak, and that's fine. That's the way it's supposed to work. So that's the reason why I never remember the 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 live patch thing so Uh, anyways he also asked do do we did we read read the
1: chat obviously we just read the chat so boom we Uh, we don't do it nearly as often as we should throughout the podcast yes just just because we we already get on tangents ourselves so we don't need help from chat. the the chat talked about amish for like five minutes after
0: we were done so (laughs) that's the reason why we don't (laughs) Read <laughs> the chat. Uh, that, was, that was our
1: fault. We spawned. Well, yeah, but still anyways. Okay. So to, to bring it back to containers, I don't, would you agree with this statement? Container containerization is only going to get more popular in Linux. Yes, absolutely. I'm right there with you. I, I think it's going to get more popular. And I think for most use cases, it's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. Although if containerization becomes the point like, or if it becomes the way that open source like developers only, like they only package their software as containers um, or in container, like, you know, flat packs snaps. If that's the only way that you're going to distribute your code and you call it open source, but that's the only way someone can get, you don't like allow someone to just, compile it or at least do the regular stuff that most reasonable yeah, I, don't, I, don't, I
0: don't think that that's going to happen because most developers use some form of get to do their stuff which means yeah. all of their software is going to be there you would just then have to they may not provide instructions on how to build it um, but you could if you wanted to you know what I mean you, you can download anything from get and build it if you want if you have the knowledge to do so
1: I, I don't know I, I think I think a lot of the people who are against the future of of having more and more things available as containers or um, primarily installed as containers. I think the people who are scared of it are also the people that are the reason they're afraid of it comes from the fear of, well, what if they stop giving instructions or people stop focusing on making it um not easy, but at least explaining it and making it easy for someone who can follow yeah. directions to, to compile and install from source. Um, I don't think that's going to happen, but I, I I do understand the fear and I don't think it's something to completely not worry about. Like, I, I think it's something to still talk about and ensure that developers at least hear people talking about it because it's kind of important to be like... If if everything is going to be super easy to get as containers, that's great. But for the people who want it from source, who want to tweak it or do that, it still should there should be an emphasis on allowing that to be easy or at least having it documented.
0: Yeah, the the real problem is going to come not with the ability to build stuff from source, which I do think will probably be a, a little bit of an issue. But the real issue is going to be the fact that we have three. Least three ways of containerizing this thing. And in true Linux fashion, uh, most a- applications you want can be available through all three different ways. So you can get it from a snap, you can get it from a flat pack, you can get it from an app image. You can do those things. Like if you want Firefox, you can get it all three ways if you want, you know, whatever way. The, the problem is that they're all going to be maintained by different people. You know, So the person who maintains the Snap version of Firefox and the person who maintained the Snap or the Flatpak version of Firefox, they're two different people, and one may be more reliable at keeping something up to date than the other. So if you're using like the Flatpak version of Firefox, you may be like, I mean, this is just an example. You might be like a version behind than the version of Snap, which is the official version. Same thing with OBS. OBS has an official version in FlatHub, right? That's where you're supposed to get OBS from. There's also a Snap version of, of OBS, but it's maintained by somebody different, so you may be a version or two behind. Also, they're going to be compiled in different ways, so the Snap version of OBS has a ton of plugins already installed for you. It's you know kind of the reason why people would want to use the Snap, it's really good. Uh, but the Flatpak version is not going to have that, it's just going to be the regular old Flatpak version of, of OBS. So that's going to be an issue that we're going to kind of have to face is that you're going to have three systems where they all have the same applications probably but they're maintained by different people they're compiled in different ways and have different features attached to them at least in some cases i mean it's not as big of a deal if you're talking about like a really simple application If you are talking like flame shot or something yeah, I'm not going to worry about. But things like OBS where there are different flags that you can compile it with so that it has different features like the browser plugin and uh, animation plugins and all this stuff like support for NVENC and stuff like that. You can compile it in different ways. You're going to have to it, it makes an extra or at least a different decision about how you download your software because you in order for that system to work you kind of have to have a a knowledge that those things are different and the idea behind Containerization it is twofold. We've already talked about it in terms of developers a lot. Like it makes it easier for developers to do things because they can compile all the stuff into a container, including all the libraries, not worrying about different version numbers and stuff like that. That's the reason why it's good for developers. For users, it means that it's really all. It's all. All the libraries are there. You don't have to worry about it. But most users, most new users at least, they don't know where they download their software from. They go to. They open up their Ubuntu thing close their eyes and then change the wallpaper and then they go into the uh the software store download a piece of software they don't know that that thing comes from snap or the debian repositories or, or Flatpak. pack i mean obviously those things aren't enabled on uh, on ubuntu but you get the idea you just download a piece of software they don't care what version it is they just download it that's the way most people get their software and uh, that's a good thing right but it also means that once they get past that idea they're gonna have some extra issues like if they move from ubuntu to say silverblue or ubuntu to fedora the way they do their like that though they might download obs on both of those things and realize that hey you know the, the obs version on ubuntu and the obs version on fedora completely different you know either they're different versions or they have different things enabled and uh that is going to make it a little bit harder for people to move around on ubuntu early and maybe not harder but uh more complex at
1: least a little bit so um, yeah wow I, I i don't know i think i think the i don't know really in all honesty i i think pack the flat pack snaps and everything the debate between which one is going to like win out and get the cv the the best development like the or really the most development focus um i think one of them is going to have to win out eventually like not saying that, like, the others will just fall into obscurity or and, like, completely wither and die, but they will just fall into that obscurity where they're they're still available, mm. there's still plenty of them around, but they're not a focus. Yeah, um, see,
0: I disagree with that completely. And the reason why is because Flatpak has technically won at this moment yeah. we're in right now, but Canonical has a lot of money. Uh, and they're the most stubborn mules in the history of world, in the world. So that means Snaps is going to be continuing to be there for a long, long, painfully slow time uh, on Ubuntu. And Ubuntu, whether you like it or not, is still probably the distro that most people download for the first time. No. So that's the reason why Snaps is going to... Be, uh, like, I think you're probably right in that, like, Flatpak, like, outside of the Ubuntu world, Flatpak is going to be the thing, you know, we were pretty much there. App Images never had a chance. Sorry, App Image guys. Like, I made a video about App Images, and man, did that piss a lot of people off.
1: I'm one of the App Image guys, man. I freaking love App Images, but I, think- I, I will admit, like, no, they've lost. Like, like oh,
0: I'm not going to get into that because that pissed a lot of people off. Like, like, they did not like that video at all. Um, but the, the but the point is like Flatpak everywhere else outside of Ubuntu definitely going to be the thing uh, inside of Ubuntu Snaps is the thing like it's going to be the thing for a long time because I don't see Canonical ever admitting defeat in that area because they want that control because you got to remember whereas Flatpaks were created for the desktop they were created for us you know the, the the people who use Linux Snaps weren't created for us they were created for enterprise and servers that's they were created for and that's where they work really well they were adapted to work for ubuntu desktop and that's the reason why they have so many problems because they weren't really meant for ubuntu desktop and because they were developed for the enterprise and that's where ubuntu makes their money and they want all of that control they're not going to be abandoning snaps anytime soon if ever
1: um, well so i mean i, I, I as far as control i don't know because hasn't ubuntu um or canonical open sourced the server side of snaps now too no oh okay i didn't know that no, okay. still, the
0: the snap store or whatever it's called is still proprietary okay okay well
1: uh, all right i see like the thing is it's like i don't know man like i i know ubuntu and canonical are stubborn as shit and they're going to continue with snaps but i i think flatpak should just be the way that everything's done it's really it's really not a difficult task to get flatpak set up on yeah. pretty much any distro well, like, you and i can we 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 agree on that but
0: you and I also both think that Linux and open source is amazing. We both agree on this. That's the reason why we do the podcast, right? And one of the things about open source software in general is that anybody can do whatever they want. That's the reason why we have 14 different package managers and 300 yeah. or 3,000 different distributions. You know, uh, Say what you want, the differences between uh, you know, elementary OS and Ubuntu on a fundamental level, aren't that much. You know, they both use the same kernel. They both use the same package manager. Uh, One's Mm -hmm. a little bit more restrictive than the other, but they basically are the same. But one is still a different distribution. You know, know, they broke off from Ubuntu, you know, same thing with Linux Mint, Arco Linux, you know, Manjaro, all these things. That's the reason why we have so many different things. And that's the reason why we're never, ever, ever, ever going to agree on just a single thing. And Whether or not we even want to is a is debatable. Like, if we said we just all have to use this one thing, like, there's a reason why so many people hate System D, right? System D is fantastic. Like, it really works really good. And everybody, like, you and I both agree everyone should use System D. Um, like, at least every new user should just use System D. But there is a very. My my uh, a very small community that absolutely hates systemd. They won't use it. So they'll they'll use run it or they'll use OpenRC or SysVinit. If you're gonna use, I mean, you know all about SysVinit, Tyler, you and your LFS adventure. You know, <laughs> I, yeah. I mean, that's the that's the reason why. Like we can, there are no standards in the Linux community, and there never will be. Whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, I think it's a bit of both.
1: Well, see, I I kind of just so like my point wasn't that anything was gonna, and and I and I know you know this, but just in case anyone misunderstood what I was saying, it's not that I think like one like I I personally think flat packs are going to win out by like majority use, like most that that's what most people use, and I I feel like app images uh, which pr- pretty much already have, but. App images and snaps will kind of fade more into obscurity. They're obviously still going to exist. People still use them, Mm -hmm. swear by them, whatever. Like they'll be there, but it'll be much more of a niche thing. There's not many people that rely on them. So do you
0: think that the what will end up happening is that because the vast majority of people use Flatpak, the vast majority of developers will develop for Flatpak only?
1: Is that what you're? No, no, no. That that that'll, that'll be where their focus is. Like they might they might you know like a good example is like um, OpenRA open or 0AD like games like that those open source game like projects that are pretty big like they'll probably still release cuz they're good at doing that they give out multiple different versions and have multiple different uh, um, software like containers and packages available they'll still do that but i think the majority of work will shift towards one, like you might have other ones that are available, but you know the flat pack is the one that we guarantee you know, like this is this is the one that we work on. We know it works. If you install this, you're guaranteed to have a good time. just like that this is the one that we recommend. i I think that will end up being flat pack for most developers, mm-hmm. and that's what they use as a standard, kind of the same way that Ubuntu is like the unspoken standard of Linux. Like if you're going to pick something to, like release to everybody. Most of the times you make your guide based off of Ubuntu or you focus your, your development around Ubuntu. Um, I, I kind of think that's going to happen more with flat packs. And I, I don't think Ubuntu is going to be the same way with the desktop anymore. Like I, Mm. I kind of feel like the death of Ubuntu bad because of snaps snaps killed Ubuntu i think canonical killed ubuntu um and nice i, just I, a I weapon. don't think it's anything that they did to like i don't think they've made like egregious mistakes on the desktop but it's just because of their core focus on enterprise yeah they're losing that touch on what people want on the desktop or the ways that people want solutions fixed like I mean, Snaps is a good solution to, con- like, it's a container, so it's a solution for that, but it's not the solution or implementation for the solution that people want on the desktop. Like, yeah, people don't want a proprietary solution on the desktop for Ubuntu, like, uh, you're, uh, I mean, you're to, be, to be fair,
0: most of Snaps is open source. It's just the yeah. store part yeah. of this proprietary. But it ha- that proprietary little bit is like the proprietary little bit at the beginning of Vivaldi. You know what I mean? It's just like... Technically, yeah, 90% of your browser is open source, but that 5% that's not is just going to piss a lot of people off. Okay, we really, really do have to stop. We've been going for an hour and 30 minutes, so it's time to move on to the last section of the, of the podcast. Otherwise, we're going to be here for a while. We, we have no more time for tangents because we could talk about Ubuntu for quite a while, I'm sure. Maybe that's a, that's something that we should do in, a, in another uh, episode. The Death of Ubuntu sounds like a really good title. Um, yeah. so. Uh, moving on to the last section of the of the pod and this thing is creatively called thingies of the week now we could have called this thing literally anything else because there are tons of options we could have just stolen from someone else but thingies of the week seems to have you know kind of stuck it's the it's the thingy of the week so tyler your thingy of the week i
1: have a feeling I know what this is is of course Deadside. um been heavily addicted to this game um it's available on Steam right now. I believe they have it for like 40 or like 50% off. I can't remember how much it is. Um, if you like survival games, um, a it's a, a a realistic survival game um, where you there's base building um, and it, the base building they've done. It's a small team of developers, I believe, based out of Russia or someplace like i believe it's russia i'm not sure but they and russians typically make the best survival games and it's it's extremely good on um, real their-
0: world experience there is what we're saying
1: <laughs> <laughs> look it's they do a great job i'm gonna get, i'm still gonna get canceled by the end of the show I'm just gonna put <laughs> that out there <laughs> It's a great game. Uh, if you like survival games, I recommend you check it out. Uh, there's no like zombies or anything in it like like that. Um, there's just AI that patrols roads, and you can go and do missions. Um, you get a whole bunch of loot. Uh, it's uh, multiplayer. It's it's a fantastic game. All I'll say is that we are on a Linux cast, so I have to go ahead and let you know it does not run on Linux, as far as I know. They still have not, they use Easy Anti-Cheat, and because of that, it doesn't work. Even though, if you don't know this, Easy Anti-Cheat now supports Linux, there's an option that they can click to enable it. So, if you look at the game, you're interested in it, you like it, I recommend you purchase it and then just leave them a review. Or send them a message. They're, they are active. They have a Discord. They're fantastic over there. Um, go over there and let them know that you'd like to play the game a lot, but you run Linux and they need to enable support. And I hopefully if enough people in, want to play the game and let the devs know and they hear enough people asking for it, they'll... Do the simple work to do it, but they're a small team. They're working on getting vehicles added in the game. Um, they've got a lot of work to do, and it's it's a great game. I rush Jonathan, you to check the it out. D- the name of the game was Deadside. Deadside, yes. Yeah. Um, and it, it, you right is on Steam. Okay,
0: so mine is an oldie but a goodie, uh, and it's Time Shift. So, I've been messing around, getting prepared to make a video about ButterFS. And it's turned into a complicated thing because I need. Butterfest is one of those things that really, you really need to explain really well, and and I don't want to make that video and realize that I got half of the shit wrong. So I'm in the process of that, and so I never had actually used Time Shift before. Usually I used um a couple other tools to do my snapshots and stuff like that. So but Time Shift has been proving to be really kind of good, even on a window manager where it doesn't really look all that great. It just functions really nice it does weekly i've set it up for weekly backups and it does the weekly snapshots just like it normally would and uh, i also go in there every time i update and do a snapshot by myself um i prefer to use god i can never remember the thing that i usually use snapper i think it's snapper uh in the in the command line it it, that sets it up so it does it automatically when you do an update it might not be called that could be misremembering it but um I'm just decided to try TimeShift because that's a, a GUI tool that people can use to create ButterFS snapshots. So uh, it does. If you are not on ButterFS and you want to use it for a backup tool, you can still use it. It just uses rsync instead. So, um, okay. Yes. You guys are funny in the in the chat. You're all 14 year old boys okay anybody who wears a hat indoors like i know a lot of people wear hats indoors now if he was wearing sunglasses i'd be worried a little bit like what are you hiding behind the sunglasses major major douche move. (laughs) like like he obviously has bloodshot eyes and didn't want anybody to know Uh, <laughs> yeah yeah okay. Anyway, so those are the thingies of the week. So that is it for the Linux cast this week. Coming up uh next week we're we're doing uh let's see here is Linux too customizable. That should be a good one.
1: Uh, that's a good that's question Follow up for this one
0: yeah so that is coming up next week if you want to watch us live we do this show every friday at three o'clock p.m eastern time or thereabouts so it's usually around quarter after by the time we actually get our asses in gear and actually hit the live button but we do record every friday around that time if you want to watch live remember if you want to sub- submit user feedback to do so at the uh, email uh, address email at the linuxcast.org you can do that uh there and we will get to some of your user feedback next week we're going to do that every other week so that should be fun uh before I go I should take a moment to thank my current patrons and you can support me on patreon at patreon.com slash LinuxCast thanks to everybody uh who does support me on patreon and youtube I truly do appreciate it I can't even begin to tell you how thankful I am also if uh you, you are interested you can support patreon uh tyler on patreon too he has a patreon page as well that link will be in the I think I have that link on the on the website i Actually, sure. Um, but anyways, thanks for everybody who supports me on Patreon and YouTube. Thanks everybody for watching. We'll see you next time.